Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, you hardworking designer, you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Kimberly Selden, and you're listening to Business of Design. We have the most amazing episode today, and in honor of the fact that it's a great episode and I'm interviewing two people, I'm going to do my very best to keep my announcements short and my introduction brief. You're going to meet Frank Ibsen, who is the owner and creator of Build Lane, a website and app that allows us to place custom orders in a new and efficient way. So custom, but not the way we've always done it, right? which is the name of this episode number 121. You will also meet Heather Zalman, who is the CMO of Build Lane. And if you're somewhat cynical like I can be, you might be thinking, oh, I get it. They're sponsoring the podcast and now we're forced to listen to them. You're only partially right. Build Lane is sponsoring the podcast, but this interview was not part of any deal. I asked for it because Build Lane did exactly what I did when I set out to improve my business strategies. I could see that things weren't working and I was busy and everybody was overwhelmed and doing everything they possibly could, but I realized I was never going to get where I needed to be doing things the way I was doing them. So it was time to stop everything and think completely outside of the box to solve some of the many, many challenges in our industry. Frank had the same story. He was working really hard doing something he was passionate about that was worthwhile, uh, but there were flaws in the systems or no systems at all. And he set about to fix them. And I respect and admire that. And there are really good lessons in this podcast, I promise. In the conversation, I ask Frank if we as designers are Kodak cameras. In other words, are we already obsolete and we just don't know it? I am going to talk to Heather about how we can feel more empowered in our client relationships. And then please stay tuned for the very end because I really put Heather on the spot and I asked her if Build Lane is going to stay true to interior design professionals or pull a bait and switch like so many other companies have done. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. It's probably one of my favorites for sure. So announcements, short and sweet. Business of Design Santa Monica Elite Retreat is sold out. If you want to be on the waiting list because life happens, please email Cheryl at Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. And if you've been thinking, man, I really want to go to a Business of Design Retreat and you just didn't jump on it, we have another opportunity for you. Business of Design Conference 2020 is happening in Las Vegas in conjunction with Las Vegas Market. It's going to be two full days of intensive learning, no fluff. No stream of suppliers trying to sell you stuff you may or may not need, which has been, by the way, my experience in every single interior design conference I've ever been to. Business of Design has been around since 2004, and we pride ourselves on content that will expand your business, boost your confidence, grow your bottom line. Sign up early. Don't miss out. Pricing is currently $1,195, $1,195. You cannot ever 
get a better investment. I guarantee it. Pricing will go up after summer is over though. So jump on it now. I guarantee you it will be money well spent. The conference is Saturday, January 25th and Sunday, January 26th. It starts at 8.30 in the morning, goes to 4.30 in the afternoon. It's the two days just prior to the launch of Las Vegas Market. So if you've never been to Las Vegas Market and you're wondering how you can use Market to your advantage, we will help you with that outside of conference hours. Or if you've been to Market before and you're going to come anyway, definitely take this opportunity to join us for the conference. More details in the next few weeks. I will quickly tell you about our two guests and then right into the show. Frank Ibsen is the CEO of Build Lane. Previously, he was co-founder of OnClick Marketing, which was an online marketing company. He also worked in the manufacturing furniture business. So he combined those two things, tech and an understanding of manufacturing to create Build Lane. He's going to talk about what's been happening in the industry in terms of tech startups betting that they can take our business away from us. And he's really passionate about this conversation. So I know you're going to learn a lot there. Heather Zeilman, as I said earlier, is the chief marketing officer, but she once worked in an interior design firm. So she's seen firsthand exactly how challenging our industry is. And she brings that compassion to the table in her role as chief marketing officer. Heather said something I think that's so important in this episode, and that is it's really important for us to be able to lean into our creative nature. And when systems and strategies aren't in place, we can't do that. So many great insights in this episode from the beginning to the end. Thank you so much for being here. On to the show. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. First of all, you need your own podcast because you have a great radio voice. Well, th- thanks. I'll just keep listening to yours, though. <laughs> okay, deal. I'm thinking you might be a native of Los Angeles, are you? Uh, pretty much. My parents are from Cleveland, um, so I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan, but I moved here when I was a baby, so I've been in Southern California my whole life. Oh, it sounds like home. It's great. And speaking of home, did you feel the last two earthquakes? The first one I was driving... The second one, the big one, uh, my wife and I were actually at a brewery and there was about a hundred people there and it was wild to be with a bunch of people like that where everybody, cause it lasted for a good minute and that everybody had a chance to like look around at each other and like start to giggle and just kind of lose the, lose it with a bunch of strangers. 
That's kind of sobering, no doubt. Anyway, I'm really glad everybody was okay. Let's talk about Build Lane. I understand not only is this your brainchild, but you actually did the coding to create Build Lane. I'm just so curious. How did you ever think of doing this? What inspired you? Uh, um, it's it's a long story. Um, I was doing e-commerce in the furniture world. Uh, my background's in tech and marketing. And there was a problem with orders. And so I wanted to diagnose the problem. So I went down to the factory that was building the materials or the furniture and just kind of fell in love with that whole culture down there in South LA and ended up running that factory just because I liked it so much and just meeting everyone else there in the community, people running other factories, people owning factories, people that work there. And through that experience, I kind of just saw what everyone else saw, which was there was this huge problem between communication with designers and factories. And everybody knew that that needed to be solved, but nobody had the the tech chops background to to do it. So I just jumped in there and did it. Not only that, but the time, right? I mean, when I'm so busy and overwhelmed to go see my suppliers, they're even more overwhelmed. It's not my go-to position to think, wow, I'm completely overwhelmed. I think I'll slow down and fix the problem. Right. I mean, it's a wild world. You go down there and you, you go into factories that are doing tens of million dollars in production every year, and they're running off of a Google spreadsheet, the whole production. And it's just... It's just wild. And I mean, the the reason that it's hard to get a hold of them is because it's just they don't have a really good centralized database that is outward facing to their account managers to to get the, get you the information that you need quickly. So that's kind of what we built. Huh. And to be fair, I don't think designers have been so quick to adapt to a changing marketplace. In fact, let me ask you this. Am I a Kodak camera? In other words, are we as an industry kind of holding our noses and waiting for the storm to pass when we really should be pedaling as fast as we can to figure out some solutions to all the things that are coming at us? Uh, Absolutely not. I mean, I think there is an opinion on the factory side that the designers don't do their homework enough as far as what goes into manufacturing and the materials and all that stuff. Uh, But that's, I think... That's just that's how it's been forever. No, uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, of course not. Your your podcast is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, but you know, not really in terms of business of design, but instead in terms of our individual design firms. It feels like there are a lot of big money corporations kind of posing as small time businesses here to help us, and they are nipping at our heels. And yeah, it's disrupting the industry and some of that is good, but some of it not so much. So I'm wondering, are we like taxi drivers and we're just annoyed that Uber is here, but not facing the reality that Uber is here, hey, they're doing it better and putting all of our energy into figuring out how are we going to work even better in the new landscape? Right. You know that, I mean, we operate within... The Los Angeles startup tech world, uh, which is an extension of Silicon Valley. And yes, I mean, that's absolutely right. There, There is definitely a big push in the last few years for venture capital firms to try to 
take what's yours, really, you know, uh, like all the big startups that are in our space that are doing technology are not like build lane are not trying to elevate what the designer's doing. They're trying to replace the designer with software or outsourced labor that can do really simple design work for cheap, you know? Oh, wow. We are not going to solve all the problems today. We are not. Uh, but you know, unless, unless you have all the answers, which would be great. Do you have all the answers? I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I, I mean, one stat uh, along with what you're talking about that jumps out at me is across uh, tech startups, Modsy, Havenly, Home Polish, and Laurel, Laurel and Wolf, venture, venture capital firms have invested $139 million. So they, they are, Silicon Valley is making a big bet that one or two of those companies is going to be worth billions in the near future and... That billions has to come from somewhere. And I, I think a lot of designers are probably realizing that they're shooting for them to be the ones to give up that market share. Yeah, definitely. They're trying to eat our lunch. Uh, but that is a conversation we are going to have another day for sure. It's an important conversation to have. In the meantime, I think we can take solace in the fact that there is always going to be a customer who wants someone in charge of their project management across the board. A one-stop option to coordinate all the suppliers, etc. And then we need suppliers who continue to make us look good by fulfilling on our brand promise. And honestly, I have to say that working with Build Lane, and thank you so much to Cami, who's a Business of Design member who told us about you in the first place, has been really easy. In fact, I'm kind of blown away with the simplicity. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, we're just getting started. We're launching 2.0 version soon. Um, it keeps getting pushed back, but that's going to open a lot more communication and transparency into the process as well. But right now, yeah, I mean, we're just really, I mean, uh, the problem we're solving is just giving the designer control again and letting them know what's going on and know that install dates are going to be hit and just that they don't have to call a factory and try to navigate that world. Just let us know what you want and we'll have it done. I am now of the mind that if something isn't working, I am the only one I can change. I cannot force my manufacturers or suppliers to change. I can educate myself, and you mentioned that at the top of the show, so that's important. And then I really try not to make the same mistakes over and over again. So, for example, if you're submitting a quote request to a manufacturer or supplier and they're coming back to you with follow-up questions, then every single one of those follow-up questions needs to go on a checklist. What's the leg style? What's the stain finish? What's the hardware? Where's the hardware placed, right? If you're answering those questions before your supplier has to come back to you with follow-up questions, then you are then you are truly taking responsibility for your own business. Isn't that fair to say? We help everybody out. But yeah, I mean, the designers that are really inquisitive about the process and are constantly following up with questions, those are definitely the designers that a, a year later, you, they have no more questions. They know exactly what wood and what fill a sofa has, what their preference is for their clients. I mean, the best designer is one that's like, I like a 26-inch depth. That's what I recommend for all my clients if they're 5'10". If they're 6'2", then we go a little bit higher. And they know the fill. They know everything. But nobody starts out that way, you know? Good point, true. Um, you know, but these are questions we can answer for ourselves. Yes, I mean, yeah, just learning that stuff. And I, I think also when those designers are out in the field talking to their clients, they must sound amazing, 
just knowing the the tiny details of how the construction of all the furniture is, you know? Actually, that's really true. I recently had a client who uh, went out on her own to a shop unsupervised and purchased a sofa for the backyard. We're doing the interior of the house, and so she just wanted something to sit on for the summer, which I understand. Anyway, she bought a sofa that's 26 inches deep, and I said, oh my gosh, your husband is going to hate sitting on that sofa. He's way too tall to sit on that sofa. Why would you why would you go and do that without me? And uh, it was very funny. And she says, oh my gosh, you're so right. I'm never going to go anywhere without you again. And I'm like, <laughs> I see the little devil on my shoulder going, hey, that's exactly where we want him. Right, right. I mean, for designers, that, those things you pick up over the years, right? I mean, I, f- I feel like I learn something every day. And just that that knowledge base is something that, that, I mean, every designer that we work with, they're reaching out to be to do custom work. So already we know that they're on another level, right? But yeah, it's just that those little things that they know kind of puts them at a different level when they're talking to their clients. I read somewhere that you're interested in macro industry trends. So what do you think are some of the industry trends that we all need to be familiar with? Okay, let's let's get into this. Um, I think on the macro level for the interior design industry, because I work in the tech world, Augmented reality and 3D renderings, I mean, we're already starting to see that with Ikea and Amazon and everybody's trying to do their own app where you can take a photo of your room and place their furniture in it. I think uh, Modsy's a good example of how cheap they're being able to do 3D renderings of actual, I mean, it's custom 3D renderings. You show them your room and they do a 3D rendering of it and they're, they're charging $500 for that service, right? So I think looking at technologies that can help you grow your design business by like just, I mean, it's bells and whistles, right? But still like that stuff's going to get cheaper and more accessible as time goes on. And right now it's probably not either of those things, but definitely something to keep your, your finger on the pulse of, I think. And we don't want to suggest that we have to be afraid of everything. Maybe some of these things can be an assist to what you do, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just knowing that that exists and that they're doing it cheaply, that that can be you can either see that two ways, right? You can see that as, oh, no, Motsi's going to take over the interior design world. Or if they can do it that cheap, I can certainly do it at least in the ballpark. And and maybe I mean, that's not is it necessary? I don't even know if having a 3D rendering of your room is necessary. Probably not. But something just to keep an eye on, I think. Right. Um, What other trends should we think about? Well, I don't mean to push too far into custom because that's obviously build lanes what we do but uh i think that a lot of the bigger retail stores are seeing a squeeze from people shopping online and they're looking for different ways to make money and i think cutting into the interior design market is one that they're really focusing on i think i think it was a really it was a it was a mark in the sand i think i think Restoration hardware was the one that I remember doing it pretty early. And I know I know designers aren't thrilled with restoration hardware, but at least like their brand and the things they do are they they move they move the industry and when they did the trade pricing for everybody, I think that was significant, especially since a lot of other people followed suit and that that's not good for the interior designers, right? And but pushing yourself towards like doing custom, that's a way to differentiate yourself from things that can be bought off the shelf now for the same price that you get with trade. 
I have no objection, no moral objection to any company making a great living, no problem. And when you walk into a restoration hardware, the space is beautiful. But reality check, if everyone gets a trade price, there is no trade price. And they also are a nightmare in terms of delivery. We ordered a huge sectional sofa, $30,000 recently. We waited nine weeks and then they told us we could have everything they promised except for the corner section. And I'm like, what? So that was a reminder to me, like under no circumstances do I order from them anymore. And so sometimes clients will ask and we priced the same sectional custom locally for a better price. And I know it's better quality. I a hundred percent know it's better quality. It is not being manufactured in some windowless basement somewhere far away. So I feel really good about that. And secondarily, I don't see myself as a Starbucks designer, and that is not a put down to Starbucks. I really like Starbucks. I go there all the time, Um, but that's coffee. It's not my home. I attract those clients who want their home to be specific to them and their personalities. They are not looking to create a home that looks like it came from the mall or is exactly like their next door neighbor or their sister-in-law. Right. Definitely agree. And I mean, I listen to your podcast all the time, and your attitude towards what a designer needs to differentiate themselves, I think is perfect. And with the designers we work with, I see the exact same thing, like not buying stuff off the shelf because of those reasons. And just, I mean, the other big reason obviously is anybody could buy it, right? I may be oversimplifying here. So uh, don't, uh, don't be annoyed with me, everybody. But I think most designers could earn a great living doing five amazing projects a year and have a lot less stress. But you have to earn a living. You mean you really have to earn a living. Right. That that's that's the adage in business, right? Don't go low, go high. And I still think my clients are most satisfied with those pieces of furniture I do for them custom. I really do. Of course. Of course. You know what? We would love to get our hands on your checklists. Releasing that publicly? What do you mean? Like putting it on the website? So Business of Design does have checklists as part of our 15-step project management strategy. So they can take a course that explains a step, and then there is a corresponding checklist that goes with it. But I'm sure your checklist would be so good to have independently as just a really clear process about how to prepare a quote request when you're ordering something custom. We would love to include that as part of membership. I'm totally putting you on the spot here. Oh, well, if you want our quality control checklist uh, for the business of design community, for sure. I would definitely send that over. Seriously? Oh, my God. Everybody's listening is like, oh, my God, I want these. Um, It's huge. Uh, So I tell you what, though, we're going to have to figure out how to get you on camera to film a course so you can explain how you use the checklists and what's in them. Wow. Business of design members are going to be so excited. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's a lot of stuff because there's custom could be practically anything, but yeah, be happy to help with that. Custom could be practically anything and perhaps it should be practically anything. I think that's where I'm headed for sure. Frank, as you know, we end every episode with design intervention. And of course, this episode also has a conversation with Heather, who's your chief marketing officer. So there's going to be two design interventions. It's a bonus, but I want to hear yours. 
Okay, here's mine. Um, it's never rest on your previous success because there's always someone out there putting in a lot more work trying to unseat your business advantage. Thank you so much for everything you're doing and for keeping your eye on how to be truly supportive to the hardworking interior design professional. Thanks for having me. And I, I really appreciate you having this community. I, we looked high and low and, the, and I've even posted on forums looking for different communities where designers are interacting and you always come up and you're always the biggest and most worthwhile place to be for designers. So thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That is that is just, it's incredible. I feel so fortunate. I can't take a compliment without uh, saying that I just feel incredibly grateful to have found my people. These are my people. And uh, every day my job is hard and uh, I know theirs is too. And so uh, we're working to improve the industry together and uh, you're a big part of that. So thank you. And we're going to jump into a conversation with Heather. Before you meet Heather, I want to remind everybody that Build Lane is sponsoring a contest, $2,500 worth of custom furniture to a Business of Design podcast listener. Go to businessofdesign.com and click on their ad to get details. It's really simple though, I promise. You're going to create a free account at Build Lane. There is no obligation to use them, but you could win that $2,500 in custom furniture. Love that idea. Can't wait to announce the winner. Back to the show. Heather, it's great talking to you. How are you? Hi, Kimberly. How are you? I'm well, but I'm curious. What's cottonwood season? <laughs> now I know why you were asking how I am because I was talking about my sneezing and watery eyes today. Cottonwood season. Well, my, my family and I split the year between Jackson, Wyoming and Colorado. And during this time of year, the big, beautiful cottonwood trees release their cotton. And, um, it gets to a point at some point in the season that it's literally like walking around in a snow globe if there's a wind. And so it's beautiful to look at, look at. It's really enchanting, but my seasonal allergies are definitely getting the best of me right now. Wow, it's like you get you get the beauty of winter without having to be cold. I think that's kind of perfect, except for the allergy part, I guess. I wouldn't like that. So I had such a good conversation with Frank, of course, who is a creator of Build Lane, and you are the chief marketing officer, right? That's correct. Your background, though, is actually interior design. You worked in an interior design firm. So did that kind of inform you in terms of like how you were going to reach out and work with designers and where you thought Build Lane could be of assistance to us as we're doing our jobs? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you were able to talk with Frank first because he comes from the factory side and, um, you know, I come from the design side. But even prior to working with an interior design firm, I was a capital improvement project manager for the city of Long Beach. And so I was contracting interior designers. And then I later stepped into an interior design firm. And I felt like all of a sudden the pieces were coming together where I used I was once at sort of this big macro level of project management and, you know, having a bunch of these nuances with interior designers and so much back and forth that was somewhat confusing to me at times. And then when I stepped into 
um, working with an interior design firm and I was at the ground level working with clients and trying to do custom projects um, with the principal designer, all of a sudden I got it. And I feel like Frank brings this really um, imperative lens on the factory side and I bring um, this lens from the design side. I love the combination. I really do. And something that struck me as Frank was describing the chaos of a factory situation is that it's a miracle anything ever gets done because he described this situation where he's on the factory floor and they're working with like, you know, pen and paper and there's, you know, drawings floating around all over the place and nobody knows where anything is, et cetera. And if you look at the other side of a lot of interior design firms, there's the same sort of chaos, for lack of a better word, going on behind the scenes, right? Like there's just so many balls in the air. You can't keep them all going in the same direction. So it's kind of miraculous that we've managed to get this far without the manufacturers stepping up the way I think designers are stepping up now to say, we need systems and strategies that are going to make this successful for everybody. Absolutely. And you know, that's the beauty of what Frank brings to the table. So he does have this factory side, but he's got this background in tech. And so Build Lane has really brought order to the custom manufacturing process that has been incredibly archaic forever. I don't know that making custom furniture has changed in a hundred years. You know, it's interesting. I I recently have been struggling with placing orders for windows for homes. We're doing a few design build projects and I'm struck by how unbelievably archaic, that is a good word for it, window manufacturers are. When I'm the client and I'm ordering two, $300,000 worth of windows, it's madness it's probably high time that the entire industry started moving in a direction of more, you know, streamlined processes. And when Build Lane, you know, when you guys finish conquering the world, I, you should take on windows. I'm just saying, just, I would love to order windows from you for my next project. <laughs> All right. Answer a question for me though. I hear designers sometimes say, and I've heard panelists uh, when I'm at events like High Point say that custom furniture is too time consuming and that you would save yourself a lot of grief by just buying things ready to go. I have the exact opposite opinion. So what is that about? What is that like we don't do custom because it's too time consuming? What is that about? Doing custom furniture not only differentiates yourself within your competitive market, um, it allows you, I think, to still be creative as a designer, which is why design, you know, interior designers jumped into the field in the first place, but it's also really good for your bottom line, you know, and I think because of the archaic systems that have been in place for so long and because the industry is booming, which is great, but there's a bit of a catch 22 with that. Everyone's really busy. Our reps are busy. Our factories are busy. Our staff is busy. Our GCs are busy. And those five balls that you were juggling have just exploded exponentially. Um, I think in order for many designers to feel that they can take on the projects that they want to bring on, that that's perhaps the quick and easy fix. And I think, unfortunately, it's a bit short-sighted. 
Well, I said this to to Frank, I think as well. Like I I know that people love Starbucks, and actually I go to Starbucks often. I don't I don't dislike Starbucks at all, but my clientele I don't want the Starbucks customer, the the customer who wants her house to look exactly like her girlfriend's house, exactly like her mother in law's house. I actually want the customer who's going to allow me to use some of my creative skills as well. Like I know it's eighty percent business and only twenty percent creative, but please let me use the 20% that's creative. Yeah, absolutely. And I love to hear that, right? Because that's going to keep you enjoying your job. It's going to, that's going to be the energy that you have day in and day out within your, within your office and what you're going to bring to your team. Um, and I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that it is easy to get into this bit of slippery slope to decide that, going custom or whatever it may be that's too time consuming or too much of a headache is not worth the investment. Um, Because I think at some point you find yourself doing the same thing day in and day out. And I think it's, you know, it's easy to get into the doldrums of that. It is. And in fact, my experience has also been that when I have relied on those stores that um, designers go to sometimes when they don't want to do custom, I've been also disappointed. I'm disappointed in the service. I'm disappointed in the delivery and the lead times. I'm disappointed absolutely in the aftercare when something is wrong. It's kind of a nightmare situation to work with. So it's not like the other solutions make my job easier, I don't think. They just make my job more generic. I just, I have not been able to figure out why there's any resistance to doing as much as possible custom, truly. I don't know if it's appropriate for me to do a bit of a plug here, but I, to go back to what I was saying earlier, I feel like that is the beauty um, and the power of Bill Blaine that we have been able to bring order to a system that is very disorganized and convoluted and confusing and um, have made the process really simple and have been able to keep our promises from the beginning where when you submit a quote, you know that your piece is going to be available in four to six weeks. And once we, um, once, you know, a designer approves a quote, then they know if it's going to be four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and they're given a date and they know it's going to show up at that time, and they know it's going to show up right. I mean, at a minimum, we need to trust our suppliers to tell us the truth about that stuff, right? Because otherwise, we just look bad to our customers. Um, you, you worked, you actually worked in an interior design firm. So firsthand, you saw like how complicated this job is. It's so complicated. There's so many balls in the air, as we've said. If you had a best friend who was an interior design professional, what would you say to her as she launches her new business is going to be really important for her to grasp before she goes out into the world? Oh, wow. It's interesting that you asked this because I just received a call a couple of days ago from a woman in Virginia who had heard about Build Lane um, from Business of Design. And she has been a decorator for years and is really wanting to get into custom furnishings. And she has her potential first new project and she had a lot of questions. And, you know, the first thing I said to her was, you know, 
how exciting, but don't be, don't be, don't be scared. You know, don't be afraid to dive into the process and learn it as you go and, and to decide who you want your clients to be. If you want your clientele to be those that are going to allow you to bring your creativity to the table and do custom, then if, if that's the service that you're presenting yourself with, then those are the clients that you will attract. And I do believe that, that if you attract those clients, you're going to spend more time in the space that you want to be in, which is in design and connecting with your client in the way that that process does. Whereas I really think you end up chasing your tail a lot if all you are, or if you're really promoting like a quick, easy, um, you know, solution to your client, slowing things down and enjoying the process. Perhaps you're working with, you know, five to 10 clients as opposed to, you know, 20 or 30 clients at a time. But I think your bottom line is going to be better. I think you're going to enjoy the process and I think you're going to enjoy the client more as well. I'm so grateful you you have brought up the bottom line twice now. And so many design professionals, and I certainly was like this, did not get into the business to make money. That just was not a motivator. We had maybe some some talent, some raw talent, kind of a gift. Definitely were people pleasers. But I don't know any interior design professional said, I'm going to be a designer because I'm going to make a fortune, Right. And money is one of those subjects that they struggle with and sometimes even feel guilty talking about. On the podcast last week, uh, Jamie Galapo, uh, when I asked her where she sees herself in the next five years, she first mentioned she wants to make more money. And then she said, wait, no, we should take that out. I don't feel right about that. And so we had a conversation offline about why would you not feel okay asking for more money? Like we're, we're not this is not tennis. This is not a club, right? We, we actually need to make money or we can't keep doing the work. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure why we're afraid to talk about money in that way. Um, I don't think that we should shy away from feeling valued for the work that we're doing. And I think to, you know, again, circle back when we look at going the custom route versus buying off, you know, buying big box or buying off the floor online. I think that, um, the direction that you choose to go is communicating the value that you bring to the table to your client. And again, I think you will begin to attract clients who um, aren't going to balk or get sticker shock at what you're presenting. And I think you're, you know, you're going to feel more empowered also to bring those numbers to the table. You are so right about that too. Uh, the other topic that's really big for interior design panels at uh, different conferences, et cetera, is how to get the luxury clients. And I hear designers all the time, like, I really want high-end luxury clients and uh, I'm going to work really hard so I can get them, but I have to go right now because I need to run over to TJ Maxx and pick up some accessories for the project. I'm like, high-end clients don't want their house to be styled by TJ Maxx, usually. I mean, there's there are exceptions, right? But you do want to keep your eye on the brand. And if your brand is speaking to a more luxurious, exclusive experience, there should be a fair bit of custom furniture, I think, in your proposal. Absolutely. I think in your proposal, but also in the portfolio that they can find online. Having worked in the industry and now talking regularly with interior design professionals, are there any tips on how we might empower ourselves in the client relationship? The firm that I was with, I feel that we took a big shift 
and the way that we presented our work to the client. And I think that that is where it starts. I think it starts with the very first conversation and the language that's in the contract that you present to the client. I think you're really clear with how you're going to bill for hours. Um, I don't think we need to be afraid to say that we're going to be marking up furnishings and and to just lay that out and be really clear with that up front and then not only are there no surprises down the road but I think that you can feel really confident in logging all of your time because your time is so valuable I think um in in my mind the reason that we want to have really clear um contracts is that the more detailed it is and the more understood it is, the more the relationship with the client is protected. I also think that it allows us to be more assertive. And that means not being afraid to bill for our hours, not being afraid to mark up our furnishings. And again, I just, I think that starts from the very beginning. I refer sometimes to my contract as my um, partner, because when you're a solopreneur, you don't have that other person to go back to the office and say, oh my God, I'm so scared. What am I going to do? You're, you know, you're kind of all by yourself. So I think of my contract as my partner and I think, what would my partner do? And oh, my, it's really clear. My partner's going to bill for that. And my partner has markups on every single thing that we sell. And that's part of our business model. And my partner is really clear that this is supposed to be profitable. I love that. I, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it. You can have it. <laughs> we end every episode with something we call design interventions. Sure. I love this question. When I first finished graduate school, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but I was fortunate to join the city of Long Beach, California in their planning and development bureau. And go beach. On, I told you was, I went to Long Beach State, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm a Long Beach State girl. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I can tell. (laughs) Um, I had our our department director was this amazing man named Phil Hester. And he had a button taped to the screen of the monitor of his computer on his desk. And it said the way we've always done things. And then it had one of those red circles and the strike through through it. And I remember (laughs) the first time I saw that and I was just getting to know him. I remember being in his office for the first time and thinking that I knew him already. And I knew the kind of person that I was going to be working with. And it was true. And I think that that is something I know that that is something I have kept with me throughout my career. If we continue to do things the way that we've always done them, it's our surefire way to lose our spot at the top. And I felt that he really elevated our department. I felt I felt he really elevated the city by taking on that kind of leadership that was always willing and excited to look under and find something new and to try it out. And what's the worst case scenario? So it doesn't work, but that there were, that there was also opportunity for some real magic in there as well. That's incredible. And I feel like that may sum up the last decade really perfectly, right? The the companies that appear to be successful at the moment are those companies who are not doing things the way they used to always do them. 
And I, for years and years and years, I thought if I could just apply more willpower, more, more stick-to-itiveness, if I could just sacrifice more of my time and my life's energy, I would finally be able to figure out how to make clients happy. But I finally realized I'm never going to be able to do this doing things the way I'm doing it right now. So I have to start over. To just continue to plug away, I would say I would love for um, your business of design listeners to consider giving us a try and checking us out. And, and you yourself are checking us out right now. So I think even within a couple of weeks here, you're going to be able to give a full report on how it all works. Well, I don't know if you know this, but I have been giving a blow by blow of the experience of working with you guys. And <laughs> I really, I can't, honestly, I can't emphasize this enough, you guys. I was not paid to give a positive review in any way. Yes, you are sponsoring the podcast and that's lovely, but we agreed right up front if we had troubles with using the product in any way, we were going to be honest about what those troubles were. And you guys were great about that. And so I'm going to take a risk here, Heather. I should have asked Frank this question, but it didn't occur to me. But I'm going to ask you. So many companies have come along and said to interior design professionals like me and everybody listening, you know what? We're here for you. We're going to be your best friend. You can trust us. And then they have pulled the rug out from underneath us and we didn't see it coming. So my question Mm -hmm. is, right now you're committed to working with interior design professionals and we want you to be successful. And I even understand the day may come when you have to take all consumers in order to to make your company everything you want it to be. And I'm okay with that too. My question is, can we trust you guys that you are going to take care of interior designers first and you won't forget who got you started? Absolutely. And I know that Frank would echo the same thing and I can actually see him if he was listening to this, jumping up and down (laughs) um, and shouting that we are about interior designers and Those are the relationships that we love. It's the clientele that we enjoy engaging with. There really isn't a more interesting and fun and dynamic and high energy client, I believe, than you would find um, in the interior design world. They're artists and creatives and it's fun. And, um, you know, we are committed and our, our core value at Build Lane is to elevate interior designers and um, that's not changing. Wow, you just hit that out of the park as far as I'm concerned. And thank you so much for that vision you have of us as uh, artists. We appreciate it. And and I love working with you guys. So thank you so, so much. And you guys are coming out. Somehow we're going to get you out to the conference in January. Right. I know. We're itching to get it on the calendar and figure it all out. But yes, we'll be there. And, you know, Kimberly, I want to say to you that we are so enjoying our relationship with you and we've enjoyed knowing your whole team and listening to your podcast. And, um, you know, I just want to say thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you for being a part of the business of design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to business of design's 15 step project management strategy a free introductory course which includes three business of design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a business of design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.